0: Hello, everybody. It's Marcy from WavesOfCommunication.com. Welcome to 2021. This year, the theme on our platform is positive action. The information I provide is designed to equip and empower parents and caregivers to take at least one conscious, focused, positive action today toward helping your child shift from nonverbal communication into unprompted spoken language. There's no time like now to make the necessary changes you need to see the success that you want for the late talker in your life. So let's get started.
1: Thanks again for everybody who's joining me You know, I really appreciate all of you giving me all the time and attention you do. I know that they get kind of long. I know I get kind of winded sometimes, but I believe it's really important for me to explain everything really thoroughly and carefully because I know that there are many, many people who are using these videos instead of coaching with me um, because they can't afford to work with me as a client. So I want to try to explain things as carefully as I can and give as much detail as I can on these Q and A's. Parents who are getting into a language facilitation journey are making massive changes in how you facilitate language with your kids. I understand. I used to be one of those therapists to tell everybody to do things. And I used to ask a lot of questions of kids too. In fact, I find myself still going into it as I subconsciously wanna prompt the little kids that I talk to. Um, And after kids are talking, questions are great. For expanding knowledge and teaching, for sure. And they are important to understand, you know, what kids know if, again, you are looking for data as outcomes. But that's not usually what parents are looking for when they are doing language facilitation. Usually, parents want kids' language to emerge naturally so that they can share their feelings without someone having to ask them questions all day long to get them to. To say words. There are better ways to get your child to understand and use unprompted spoken language than asking them questions. And that's what this video is all about, okay? To stop asking questions and do something different. So we're going to learn new strategies on this video. So the number one reason that parents actually start using questions with little kids, even babies when they're very young is they start asking them yes/ no questions just to see how they respond in a positive or a negative. And what they do is they look for what does the child behave? How is the child communicating with their nonverbal behavior that they do want something yes, a yes answer or a no answer when they don't want something right? And so what happens when parents use these yes, no questions, that's when they say things like, um, you don't know what the child wants, and you ask a series of questions. Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? And you wait and watch the child to see if they smile or if they have a negative and push it away. And that's how you learn if they're doing yes or no. And anytime you ask your question, your child a question, do you want while you're holding an object up is only ever going to facilitate a yes or no response, even if it's nonverbal, even if it's verbal. Do you want is a yes, please, or no, thank you. That's all you get. That's the most you get with a do you want. It's a yes, no, right? So again, if you want to facilitate conversational language, you need to stop asking questions that have just a yes, no response, because as long as your child has been on the earth, they've been communicating yes and no to you through their behavior already. So you're just trying to facilitate something that you already know the answer to, okay? And then that's the next one is when you actually ask your child a question that you know the answer to about their situation, just seriously to prompt them to say a word if you know they have a word, if you know they know a yes, no, if they have said yes, no, you've trained them to say yes, no, and you want them to say yes, no, that's when you ask them questions that they already know, that you all you already know the answer to. Um, are you playing with your teddy while they're holding the bear? Do you wanna go outside while they're pulling on the door? And when you ask those questions that you already know the answer for, it's just a test. It's just a prompting your child to say words. It's not facilitating the new language or the language your child needs to actually use to make those requests. And you facilitate that language by in the moment when you notice your child wanting something, tugging on the door, you talk about your child's wants, what what they want. I see you want to go outside right now, okay? Because that's what they're communicating to you is that they want to go outside. You let them know that you understand they want to go outside, and then you talk about the fact that they want to go outside and why they want to go outside and how you will help it the situation come to pass. That you will make sure that they get outside or you will tell them that they're not allowed or not permitted to go outside. You're going to respond in one way or another when your child's tugging on the door to want to go out, right? If you ask them a question that you already know the answer for, then you're wasting your language facilitation opportunity to teach them the words they need to ask you next time or the next time or the next time. They're going to continue to pull on the door every time unless they learn the words to ask for that thing, okay? So continuing to ask your child questions that you already know the answer for is a big speech blocker and it makes speech really frustrated. It makes kids really frustrated um, by that. All right, so the next example is Example C, when you are asking your child questions to teach needs-based language, okay? This is when you ask your child the WH questions and you're using the questions and answers to teach your child to memorize that needs-based language that they have. So if you've done a lot of what's this, what's this, what's this in books and pointing around everywhere or what's he doing, what's she doing to get them to label the actions in pictures, what color is it where where is it under over if you've worked on you know those prepositions um, in out you know those kinds of things the, all the WH questions what not not what do you want but what is it okay so that describing what it is and then you say what is it right what is it? what is it what is it what is it and then you prompt your child to say those words again now when you teach your child to label things by asking them the question and teaching them the answer that's all they learn is just the answer to that question they don't learn how to take those the boy is kicking a ball and use it functionally because uh, you've just asked them a question about the situation and they again are focused on the exchange why should I answer this question you're looking at the boy with me you must be trying to prompt me to say a word and it probably have had to do that. You would give your child a good job or a treat or something like that every time they say, yay, you did it. You said a word. And the child is really only saying those words not to learn them as part of their vocabulary that they'll use later, but they're using them to get the right answer for the test because nobody wants to get the wrong answer for a test. So that's why that example, that WH questions, they can only teach the needs based language. It can't ever get past that needs based language to, you know, show your child how to use those phrases. So those WH questions, they're never going to get you past it, okay? You have to facilitate the language about the situation. And example D is when you know your child can say a word. Like they have a bunch of language and maybe some of it is appropriate needs-based language, but maybe they're also using echolalic language or babbling or jibber-jabber or they have speech that you can't understand because they have a lot of phonological problems, right? They might have issues that they are trying really hard to say words and they're saying all kinds of stuff, but you can't understand what it is. All of these can happen. And then you just ask your child to say those things again, or you ask them these things. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Why do you feel that way? Where are you, you know, all these questions about the things that you don't understand your child is doing. So if they can't communicate with you because their speech is limited, then you have to ask them to show you what they want instead of just asking them to tell you, tell you, tell you, because I was talking about this before, I've had families that have gotten into 45 minutes or an hour of crying and battling over a child trying to say she wanted fruit salad, which is a very hard thing to say for that child, and she couldn't communicate it, and they cried. she cried for 45 minutes, and they fought about it, laying on the floor, kicking and screaming. Because instead of the parents just saying, will you just show me what you want, they got into this, do you want this, do you want this, ah, oh, she doesn't want this, does she want this, you don't have to cry, do you want this, do you want this, do you want this, and they just took it out. On themselves instead of just having the child show them you know demonstrate for me show me use your nonverbal communication to direct me to what you want you don't have to keep asking questions that your child physically can't answer like you're trying to get your they are trying their best they have told you exactly what they want it's you that doesn't understand them So you own that. Don't put it on them, you're not talking well enough. Put it on yourself and say, I don't understand that. I need you to use your nonverbal communication and show me. And then you facilitate the language for what the child needs. Because when they come to you and they want something, that's what I always say is the golden egg. They're bringing you the, the sentence. When they come to you, uh, 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 whatever they're uh, uh-ing about, ah, uh, you want to go outside right now. Okay, now we have to get your shoes because we can't go outside without shoes. Come on, I will help you meet that need right now. And talking through whatever your child is communicating passionately with their nonverbal communication. Instead of asking them questions, facilitate the words that they are trying to say, okay? And if you don't know what those words are because you just don't understand, you can't ask your child more questions to get them to expand on their language because you haven't taught it to them first. So these questions are just going to continue to frustrate you and frustrate your child. Just questions, 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 eliminate them. No more questions in your in your vocabulary. You never need them. Your child if your child needs something, they will communicate it with you. They've been doing it since birth. Okay? if they need something from you. If you wanna offer something to your child, then you can offer them something and ask them if they would like to have that thing. But when they give you a verbal or nonverbal response, then you accept that and facilitate the language around it. You don't want a cookie right now. Your tummy must be full and you don't wanna have one. Okay, I will put the cookies away. And that's a bunch of language that your child wouldn't hear if you said, do you want a cookie? And then went, uh, and you went, okay, and put it away. Right? You're missing the language they need by responding to these nonverbal communications that you're prompting with your questions. Okay? Because if your child can't answer the question using words, they're going to try to answer with their body. And that's going to make you frustrated if you expect words. Okay, and that's what's happening to all these parents. They're asking questions and they're getting nonverbal responses, but it's not good enough for them. Right? They want something different. If you want a different response, then you have to have a different approach. And that's why these replacement things are necessary. Now, I have a few things I just want you to tell you really quick before I get into these other questions to remind you final notes to encourage you to please stop asking your child, your late talking child questions, okay? Number one, nobody, Nobody on the planet, not even the highest MENSA, whatever, can memorize a whole language. They learn multiple languages at one time, but they don't learn it from memory. Languages are learned through your language processing system. Not any human can memorize every bit of language they need. Questions only teach children to memorize and say words on command, okay? So your child can't do it. So stop teaching, that's the number one reason. Number two, kids realize when they don't know the answer to the question and they're gonna give you nonverbal communication, but it also causes them anxiety because think about how you feel when you're taking a test and you don't know the answer, okay? That's how a child feels all day when they can't answer it because they don't have language and you're asking them questions. All day long, you trigger little bouts of anxiety in your child because everybody feels anxiety when they are asked a question that they can't answer, especially in the way that that person wants them to, right? Even if you don't want to answer that question, you still feel anxiety because you know somebody wants something from you that you can't or don't want to give them. And that causes a dissonance in your relationship. It's not good for your zone, okay? It pushes your child away from you right? No one likes, this is the next one, no one likes to be on an all-day quiz show. It, quiz shows cause anxiety all day long. I wonder if I'm going to get it right. I wonder if I know the next question. I wonder if I'm going to get the next one right, right? I hope I studied enough. I wonder if I'll get the prize. Is it going to be good or am I going to fail? Is someone going to beat me, right? Nobody wants that all day, every day. So stop asking your child questions. And think about this. When children are annoyed or anxious, they will retreat into their own zone and they will stop listening to you, okay? They will just quit listening. And that's the opposite of what you want when you're trying to teach your child language. You don't want to push them away from you and cause them to stop listening to you. You want to get them to listen to you more. You need them to listen to you more. So you have to use the language they want to hear and nobody wants to hear questions all day. They don't need it. It's not helping them and it's not teaching them natural language. It's blocking natural language from coming. So, sorry, got a little passionate about that today, (laughs) but it's a big, big deal and it's a common, common thing that parents do. And now I'm gonna get into my next question, all right? So these questions have come in from people over in the Language Facilitation Resources Group, and the first one comes from Megan, who says, looking forward to our first live. So I hope you're here, Megan, or at least you'll get to watch on the replay because I know I was off and on for a few times, but I definitely wanted to get to your question today. So welcome to the group, and I'm so glad that you're watching my videos. All right, so Megan says, My daughter's four years old and up until two and a half when she had her ad noise removed she was a talker. Immediately following that surgery she lost all those words and we've not been able to get them back yet. Looking forward to trying a new approach with waves of communication. Right now we're in parrot mode of just repeating all words spoken to her. My struggle right now is getting her to see words are easier than all of her nonverbal cues. She knows how to get what she wants without those words, right? So they're trying to make things fun and they just starting on our journey and appreciate all of my videos and insights. So Megan, thank you again for your question. It's a very good question. And um, it's a common situation when children are, they lose their talking. <clears throat> so, It's the same thing that happens when kids are late talking for ENT issues to begin with. Maybe almost all kids with ENT issues usually start talking and then they quit when the ENT issues flare up. And ENT issues in little kids are typically temporary. Temporary meaning they can go anywhere from six months to six years. Um, but they typically don't persist as kids get into, certainly adolescence. That's not always the case, but that is typical. And that's because of the head shape. And when kids are very little, before they hit maturity, their heads are more round like a softball. And as they get long, Older, They stretch out more and that means that this whole ear, nose and throat system that used to be very compact together and the tubes that connect the ears and the nose sinuses and all of that stuff, they're all real flat and short and these things, um, These things cause any kind of inflammation or fluid in this really tiny system, because think about how little your child's head is compared to yours. And if there is a teaspoon of fluid In your ears, you're going to be annoyed by it, but if there is a teaspoon of fluid in your child's ears, they're going to notice it a lot. And they're also going to notice it when it goes away. So it probably, in a child who's had surgery with tonsils, adenoids, all of that stuff, um, if there was ear stuff involved, maybe or maybe not, the fluid went away because of the tonsils and adenoids, but the other thing that happens is when tonsils and adenoids are affected, kids have anoxia problems, so they have trouble breathing because all that tissue in there clogs up their throat, especially when they're laying down flat, and um, it also can affect that inflammation can even affect their hearing a little bit sometimes, too. So. After the surgery, things are very, very different. There might be irritation. There might be new hearing. There certainly is a lot of different feeling. And if a child did have talking and then lost it while she was sick, I don't know how long she was sick, but during whatever long it was, and usually it happens that these cases are not found right away. They're found after six months or so of chronic symptoms symptoms where a parent finally takes a child in because if it's just tonsils and adenoids that are enlarged they might not be infected or they might have been treating with infection over and over again and things like that all right so my suggestion for you is your your child is not talking because during the time that she wasn't didn't have access to her talking that it hurt that it wasn't didn't feel good to her that she wasn't she switched quickly into nonverbal communication. She's probably a real smart cookie and she learned how easy it is for her to use all these little nonverbal cues because you were, when she was sick or even before she was sick, very intuitively responding to these things. So even before her surgery, way before her surgery, she had already trained you to understand all this nonverbal communication And when she learned, you know, that that she developed all that talking and stuff, that those things went away, she doesn't realize that her mouth works better for talking again because she just got good and in the habit of using these nonverbal things and you got in the habit of responding to them. So. The number one blockage in your case is probably that you are responding without facilitating language. And when that happens, then your child will stay stuck. They, If they're not motivated to move out of this, um, these gestures and facial expressions and all of that stuff they're using to get what they want, um, unless they get some real satisfaction out of the value of talking they're not going to shift out of those behaviors and that's what's exactly happened with you i don't know what you have done before for teaching maybe right after she had the tonsils and adenoids you went into some needs-based stuff and used exchange-based things that she didn't like and she got tired of the quiz show i mean two and a half years is a long time so You know, if you've been asking her questions like I talked about at the beginning of this video, then it could be that she is really blocked and she just does not like talking. She doesn't like the teaching you're doing and she's very happy and content as a diva, you know, young lady in her nonverbal communication and she could be very resistant to you wanting to change that. That's why my book is called If It Isn't Fun, It Isn't Fun, because if whatever strategies you are using with her are not fun, she's going to resist them. And I see that you say that you are starting to make everything fun, but you might not be, maybe you're not prompting her to say words, but you could be asking questions um, if you're still doing that, and if you're still doing that, and you're doing a lot of, you know, maybe talking down to her. I'm not sure exactly what kind of strategies you are using now. But the fact is, whatever you are encouraging her to do, um, she's just saying the same word you're saying because she doesn't understand the value of using those words on her own. So I would completely avoid any kind of imitation kind of thing. Those questions, what is this? What is this? What is this in the book? Stop all of that right now. Any kind of prompt based, anything that you're doing, you have to do a 180 and do a lot of talking and not talking down she can't deal she's not going to want to deal with any kind of basics the boy is kicking the ball she wants to know that boy has a blue shirt on and wow it's got a lightning bolt on it he must be a fast runner as he goes up the way kicking the ball that's the kind of language that your four and a half year old wants to hear and if you're doing a lot of the boy is kicking the ball and you are eating a cookie. She's going to tune that out real fast because she's got nonverbal communication that's already ahead of that. Okay? She's got nonverbal communication to say, look at that boy. He's got a really cool blue shirt on, right? She's got enough language to tell you that between verbal and nonverbal if that's something she's interested in. So she might not be interested. I mean, it all has to be what she's interested in, of course, but then she's going to try to tell you those things. So you have to watch and see what she's trying to communicate and completely eliminate your expectation of her to say words ever and really give her the language she wants. That's the only way she's going to decide to shift over. That's it. That's the only way. All right, let's see. Next question is from Misty. Hi, Misty says, hi Marcy, we're just leaving an ABA program. My son shuts down with any of the methods they used. Okay, because it's all the stuff that I talked about before. A big one used was do this and you get a treat, which is pretty much what ABA is. Now that we are starting some language facilitating, how do I ask him to put his hand out if he wants a cookie and not trigger the flight response? Um, I'm asking him, I'm trying to ask him to put out his hand if he wants the cookie as opposed to him being told to do it and get the cookie. The two seem similar and I don't want to trigger that response. Misty, they are the same response. Um, It is the same thing. Um, It's that the reason I have parents have their kids hold out their hand is when kids are trying to snatch from them and in that case you could have your child hold out the hand if they if he's trying to snatch the cookie away from you but if not then just hand it to him and in fact any parent who is coming out of um, a lot of exchange based teaching where you have been asking a lot of these questions, um, and doing all of this stuff to teach needs-based language through memorization in exchange for a treat. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's what these questions do. That's what ABA does. It teaches speech as a behavior to, to say in in exchange or making something happen or getting something. And that's the foundation of ABA and speech. So in Misty's case, she's trying to facilitate language. For any child who has needs-based language already, my suggestion is to not use your language facilitation time in needs-based opportunities. I want you to use your language facilitation time when you are modeling the experiences you do with your child together, the conversational speech, bypass the wanting, needing, prompting your child to say words. When they want something, you talk about it as you give it to them. Don't prompt them to do anything or say anything in exchange for getting anything, unless you're literally paying them money to take out the trash as a chore because that's the only thing that you know ne- exchange based happens is a child doing work in exchange for money or some kind of reward and it will make them do work but it won't teach natural language you have to bypass all those situations just use slow talking when you model that stuff but have no expectation your ch- every single time your child comes to you to want something you say out loud. I can tell that you want this thing, and I will do these actions step-by-step to make sure you get that thing, all right? Here we go, I'm gonna put it in your hand. There you go. And don't say hold out your hand, tell your child what you're gonna do. I've got the cookie and I'm gonna put it in your hand, and if you start doing this, your child will reach their hand out and you put it in, okay? because you want to be in control to hand your child the thing. They've already come to you to ask you. They have done their part. They have non-verbally said, uh, eh, ball. I want it. Go outside. My cookie now. Give me, uh, uh, uh. They have done it. They have come to you to say, I want that thing. If you know what that thing is, you say, I have that thing, I want to give it to you right now, and here's how I'm gonna do it. If you can't give them that thing, then you say, I know you want that thing, but I can't give it to you now because of this reason, and I will give it to you at this next time when that new situation happens. Exactly. And right now, I want to make you feel better because I know you're sad because you can't have this thing right now. And I'll join you in your sadness, give you some hugs and let you know that it's okay to be sad when you can't have things sometimes, but you can't wreck the house. You know, you don't need to wreck the house. You can just come and cry on my shoulder. I'm your mom. I'll help you every time. I'll help you. Right. And if your child comes to you because they want the they want you to give them hugs. If they come to you because they don't know what to do with themselves and they're frustrated, that's what you talk about. Because they are communicating all day. And if they're not coming to you with that communication because they've already learned from you that you're gonna try to teach them something every time they come to you, then it's on you to be so attractive that they come back, right? You don't ever force your child to sit and do anything with language facilitation. You invite them, and if they join you, you talk about it. And if they don't want to join you, you talk about that. And you tell them, all right, you're not into this right now. You want to do something else. I wanted to do this. You don't want what I want. All right, then we'll do something else because it's not worth a fight to do this thing that you don't want to do. not going to teach you anyway right that's what you've learned so bravo misty for learning what your child responds to and not because if you don't know that then you don't know what to change because you know what your child does respond to and you need to do more of that and the things that your child doesn't respond to give them up now is the time to give them up stop asking questions right that's what it's all about Gladys says, I'm trying to stop questions, but when I at least realize I did it, I just correct myself. That's exactly what you do. I'm so glad you said that, Gladys, because this is a big habit that people have a hard time stopping, asking questions and prompting kids. So when you realize, I just did it again, I just did it again, you're gonna, you're gonna do it again. When you realize that, just provide the answer. Just provide it because your child wasn't listening to the question anyway. They weren't listening to it all the other time. (laughs) They know it's just a prompt anyway. So don't worry. You're going to make mistakes just like your kids make mistakes when they first start talking. It sounds all kind of crazy when they first come out, especially if they're older and they've had lots of different exposure, okay? If they've had bad ear stuff going on, their speech is not going to be clear when it comes, you know? It's just not because they haven't had the right exposure to all the sounds until you facilitate it. That's what this is all about. Wherever your child is, you just facilitate language moving up, right? Okay, let's see. One more question I had from Geet who says, how can I make different an ASD and lay talking child? So she has a child who has a diagnosis, who got, you know, like most, Parents who have kids who are late talking at one point or another, somebody tells them that their child has ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, which is a spectrum disorder and it can be anywhere from mild to severe to scales with numbers and all these kinds of things. But the one characteristic that almost all of them have is that they are late talking, right? they're only considered high level if they're talking. So any other child who is not a high level child with ASD has limited verbal skills, and that's just really the criteria, that's all it is. ASD is another word for late talking, basically, because they're all, it's caused by a million different things, everywhere from ear infections, to seizures, to Down syndrome, to auditory processing delay, to, you know, uh, sensory issues, tongue tie, I mean, it's all caused, they're all called ASD. So late talking is late talking, and if you want to learn, no matter what has caused your child to be late talking, How to help them shift. Starting today, from nonverbal communication into spoken language, you need to go to wavesofcommunication.com and watch my masterclass. It's an hour and a half long, and it explains how I teach parents, goes through the process of exactly what I do, so that you know what is necessary, okay, what it takes. I tell you in that masterclass what it takes to get your kid talking. And then after you learn what it takes to get your kid talking, you learn how to access the resources you need based on the resources you have to get the learning done you need. Because you can watch my videos just like Misty and all these other moms do to learn how to do this. And that's why I do these Q and A's because I know that not everybody can afford to work with me and I know that there are people who it's ups and downs. The whole journey is ups and downs. There's all kinds of it and it's a lifetime journey that you're just starting many of you and other ones like Bupinder is doing great so let's do that one more question the last question is from Bupinder who says my son always develops a special connection with one specific teacher when there are more than one teacher interacting with kids now I put him in a karate class to keep some social interaction going which is cool um, he started to do the same thing there, paying attention to only one teacher on the days he is teaching Um, On the days when the different instructor, my son just looks around and doesn't pay attention to what the teacher is teaching. How can we deal with this? Okay, so in your case, I know that your child is sensitive and he has um, a big reaction whenever someone is at all, in putting pressure on him he really likes when things are easy to do and you're talk through it he's just an easygoing guy but he's also very very skeptical of every new person and you know this about him that's why you decided karate I think karate is a great idea because he doesn't have to play in a team and trust every person on the team he can still do his own thing but he does have to watch the teacher and you're learning in your child's case that even one adult teacher is the the one that he will respond to, the one that he has picked his trust in. And if he doesn't trust the other teachers, there are two ways to go about this. Number one, you have to find out what he does trust about that one teacher. And to your son, Monraj, hi Manraj, point out all the things about those other teachers that are the same as the thing that he likes about that other guy, if they are the same, and you remind Munraj about all the nice things about those other teachers that are cool about them and that everybody's different. Sometimes teacher A has this way to do things and that's super nice and fun and important, and sometimes teacher B is coming and he does this nice and fun and cool thing. So if you are watching the class and you see what's the difference between teacher A and teacher B. It's the same thing that your son is experiencing. Why would he choose to pay attention to one person versus another? He always will gravitate to the one person that's gonna make him feel safe in that environment because he does that with you. And whenever you're not there to make him feel safe, he's gonna look for the grown-up in the environment to do that. It's okay for kids to do that, to have a favorite teacher or someone to need, but you have to understand that that's what's going on and talk with your son about it and remind him that if that teacher's not there, that he has to be brave and try to find a plan B or a plan C because you don't want him to be like not participating in karate because his favorite teacher's not there. You want him to benefit from all of it and learn to be with other people. So finding the characteristics, it's just like toys. You find the characteristics about the one thing that your child is attracted to and then you find other toys and activities that have similar characteristics. If your child likes ins and outs, you do ins and outs activities. If they like water, you incorporate water. If they like coloring, you do more coloring. If they like to run, you do more running. That's how it works with all of your language facilitation. And then your children, as they get older, will use these sophisticated behaviors of choosing who they want in their environment because they still are using a lot of nonverbal communication. And maybe that one person is in a good resonance is that he can get in that person's zone and get them to understand him non-verbally. He doesn't have to try very hard. And with some other people that are not so open to a child who is late talking and they aren't open to listening to them, that child will not like them, right? They'll, They'll gravitate away from them because it's more of a challenge even to have conversation with that person. Think about you as an adult. There are some people that are a lot easier to talk to than other people. And so your son is feeling that in a big, big way. And that's what's going on so remember uh, understanding and acknowledging your child's feelings is a massive opportunity for language facilitation so hey Missy, I'm so glad you did get to see me today thank you for joining and Bupinder and Gladys and everybody else who joined me today thank you so much for joining me I'm here every Thursday at 2 p.m. live I'm doing my best Uh, hopefully we've got the mercury retrograde going on for another couple weeks so we we won't get too many but I think after the eclipse that's coming up this weekend, things are going to be a lot different for a lot of people, and people are going to be more open to change and new ideas, and I'm really hoping that more and more parents will join my Waves of Communication platform, start joining these live Q&As, asking me questions and taking action because, again, I can't come through the camera and help you fix your kids. You got to do this on your own. Watch these videos. Read the book. Join the independent study course, you know, and and sign on and learn to do the whole process if you need, right? Whatever you need to do to learn this, it's gonna be on you moms and dads, okay? So that's all I'm gonna leave it with for today. Thank you again for joining me and I'll see you all on my next video.
0: Thanks everybody for tuning in today. I hope this content has inspired you to create your own positive language facilitation action. Plan for this week. If you enjoyed this broadcast, you're in luck. There are tons of resources across our waves of communication platform, all designed to help you teach your child to talk. There are more than 350 free videos on our YouTube channel, a daily blog on Facebook with opportunities for live Q and A, my book. If it isn't fun, it isn't fun. Available on Amazon and my coaching programs, including a free 90-minute introductory class. Learn about everything we do for language facilitators on our website, wavesofcommunication.com. If you benefited today, please consider subscribing to the channel and sharing the resource with others. This little exchange is free for you and really helps us grow the platform to reach more parents and caregivers around the world. I'll be back next week with more information and strategies to help you continue on your language facilitation journey. This is Marcy Melzer, intuitive speech and language pathologist, saying bye for now.